Chapter 14 Here is Mr. Mark Twain. The Gorky Incident, 1906 Let me resurrect the York Minster episode of 75 years ago and enlarge it a little bit for present purposes. York Minster, such was his nickname, was a native of Tierra del Fuego. He was a likable young fellow, bright, animated, rather handsome, and of a particularly shapely figure. Let him be where he might, his figure was always on exhibition, for he wore not a rag of clothing except a square of untanned skin between his shoulders. His costume did not make him conspicuous because it was the costume of his whole nation. The commander of a British warship fitted York Minster out with Christian clothing, taught him the rudiments of English speech, and uh, took him home over the seas. He became at once an object of great and earnest interest. The public welcomed him. The newspapers were full of him. All ranks offered him their hospitalities. Naturally, he was pleased and grateful. Among his invitations was one which took precedence of all the others, the King's Ball at St. James Place. He got himself ready for that. For the sake of convenience and comfort, he resumed his national costume, thinking no harm, and at eleven p.m. he appeared in the midst of that gorgeous assemblage, clad only in his awful innocence and that pathetic shoulder-skin. Do you know, he emptied that place in two minutes by the watch. Then the guards turned him into the street. When he reached his hotel, he was denied admission. The other hotels refused him. It looked as if he was never more going to find shelter. But at last he was rescued from his difficulties by compassionate friends. Then the wise and the unwise began on him in the newspaper and led him a dance. A friend defended him and explained that York was only following a recognized and perfectly proper custom of his own country, and therefore was doing no wrong. Other friends defended him and proved by facts and arguments that the dress customs of Tierra del Fuego were more just and rational than were those of England, and that claimed that since this was the case, the English had no right to find fault with this foreigner, and inhospitably upbraid him and revile him for what he had done. All of which was wasted ink, I think. Laws are coldly reasoned out and established upon what the lawmakers believe to be a basis of right. But customs are not. Customs are not enacted. They grow up gradually, imperceptibly, and unconsciously, like an oak from its seed. In the fullness of their strength they can stand up straight in front of a world of argument and reasoning and yield not an inch. We do not know how or when it became custom for women to wear long hair. We only know that in this country it is custom, and that settles it. Maybe it is right, maybe it is wrong. That has nothing to do with the matter. Customs do not concern themselves with right or wrong or reason, but they have to be obeyed. One may reason all around them until he is tired, but he must not transgress them. It is sternly forbidden. Women may shave their heads elsewhere, but here they must refrain or take the uncomfortable consequences. Laws are sand. Customs are rock. Laws can be evaded and punishment escaped. 
but an openly transgressed custom brings sure punishment. The penalty may be unfair, unrighteous, illogical, and a cruelty. No matter, it will be inflicted just the same. Certainly, then, there can be but one wise thing for a visiting stranger to do. Find out what the country's customs are and refrain from offending against them. The efforts which have been made in Gorky's justification are entitled to all respect because of the magnanimity of the motive back of them, but I think that the ink was wasted. Custom is custom. It is built of brass, boiler iron, granite, facts, reasonings, arguments have no more effect upon it than idle winds have upon Gibraltar. However, I must return to York Minster and finish that story. After reflection, he put on his clothes again.